0: Well, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Well, this morning's passage tells us, on the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. That is verse 37 and 38. This was not the first time that Jesus had made such an invitation. You may remember back from chapter 4, in his conversation with a woman by the well, Jesus said to the woman, Those who drink of the water that I will give them were never thirsty. The water that I will give become in them a spring of water, gushing up, to eternal life. that chapter 4, verse 14. You will also remember in chapter 6, as he was speaking of himself as the bread of life. He encouraged people to eat his bread and to drink as well. But what made this Jesus' proclamation in chapter 7 so special and striking in this occasion? Verse 2 of chapter 7 tells us that it was during the Festival of Booths that Jesus made such a proclamation. And verse 37 says, It was on the last day of the festival, the great day. The Festival of Booths was one of the three main Jewish festivals. Pentecost, Passover, and booths, or tabernacles. This festival was to celebrate the 40 years of living in the tents while wandering in wilderness. God had protected them, preserved them, and provided them with food and drink during that period of time. It was now the last day of a week-long celebration. Someone has reconstructed the situation. The worshippers who celebrated the festival make booths to commemorate the wilderness wandering and the temporary housing, remembering the goodness of God and taking branches from trees. On each day of the festival, the high priest would go to the pool of Siloam by prescription he would have a golden pitcher in his hand, dip it into the water of the pool of Siloam. Then he would come back and pour the water out on the altar as an offering to God and remembrance of God, providing the waters for the people of Israel. The people would recite Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. As a high priest poured the water, the Levitical choir would start praising God by singing Psalms 113 to 118. Water was a symbol of God's salvation. What makes the celebration on the last day so special is that the people marched around at the altar seven times to commemorate the march around the city of Jericho before pouring out the water because that spelled the end of the wilderness wilderness wandering. Now, it was said to be a blessing if you could actually see the water being poured out. So, the priest would pause and hold the jar as high as he could before he poured out the water. Now, it was seems it was at that very moment that Jesus cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. He wanted the maximum number of people to hear him. He deliberately drew the attention of people away from the central event of the festival to himself. You can imagine how all the eyes suddenly turning from the high priest to Jesus. There are three keywords in the proclamation of Jesus they are thirst, come, and drink. First, thirst. Notice the general invitation let anyone who is thirsty come to me let anyone the invitation of jesus was unlimited and universal what was he talking about he was talking about thirsty soul a longing for deliverance longing for hope longing for peace longing for forgiveness, for salvation, for liberation from the power of sin. The second keyword, come. Jesus was inviting people to come to him. He is the only source of soul satisfying, nourishing, living water. It means to come to him with all your heart and humility. Spiritually speaking, it is to acknowledge that Jesus is the only source of your needs. Turn, turning, uh, turn your back on the world. Abandon your sin. Abandon your self-confidence. Cast yourself at the feet of Jesus and receive the grace of God. The third key word Drink. Drink means to take him, receive him, to embrace him. A songwriter wrote, "I heard the voice of Jesus say, "Behold, I freely give the living water thirsty one. Stoop down and drink and leave. I came to Jesus and I drank of that live. Giving stream. My, my thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in Him. This is a sentiment that every Christian can understand. I came, I drank, I took Christ in. Rivers of living water. Verse 38 says, Let the one who believes in me drink. Well, what does it mean to believe in him? It means to thirst and come and drink. That's just a theological way to express what is an analogy in verse 37. But it doesn't just end here. And this may be the most remarkable part about this invitation. Look at the second half of verse 38. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart will flow rivers of living water. Let me give you a simple analogy. This water that flows to you when you come to Christ comes into your life doesn't stay in you. You are not a bucket. You are not a reservoir. It goes through you. You are a fountain that becomes a river. This is a really amazing statement. Not only do we drink and have our soul thirst forever quenched, but we then become the fountain and the river of living water to others as it flow from us. Verse 38 talks about the impact of a believer on the world. It's thrilling. We receive so refreshing spiritual water, which is really an analogy for spiritual life. We receive all that, a constant spring of pure, cleansing water of life in us sanctifying us, making us more like Christ. But at the same time, and the real key here is, we become a fountain that turns into a river for the world. The blessed one becomes the one who blesses. The recipient of sovereign grace becomes a channel of sovereign grace. And it's not a trickle, but like a gushing river. Is there a river of living water flowing out from you? Oh, or perhaps some of you have become stagnant ponds. You might need a dose of spiritual drain cleaner to get the flow going again. But this is how We are defined here. The water is ours. It is in us. It is springing up in us and gushing out of us for thirsty soul of all over the world. The Holy Spirit. Verse 39 says, Now he said this about the Spirit, which believers in him were to receive, for as yet there was no Spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Holy Spirit had not yet been given at the moment when Jesus was crying out as he had not yet been glorified. The Holy Spirit did not come until the day of the Pentecost. Then he came to dwell in believers and to form them into one body. The coming of the Holy Spirit on that day assures us that Jesus had arrived back at the Father's throne. This indwelling blessing would be available through the Holy Spirit after Christ was glorified, ascended into heaven. Division amongst the people. Some of the crowd responded to Jesus' proclamations by saying, this is really the prophet. And others said, this is the Messiah. They believed and turned to him. But some others said, he could not be Messiah because a Messiah was predicted to come from Bethlehem. They were correct about this but incorrect by assuming that Jesus was born in Galilee. Consequently, their conclusion that Jesus was not the Messiah was also wrong. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he didn't stay there for his earthly ministry. They could have learned that uh, his birth took place in Bethlehem, and that he did fulfill the prophecies if they really wanted to know instead of rejecting him. There will always be a division among the people over who Jesus is until he comes to reign. Temple guards. The chief priests and Pharisees have been contriving on how to stop Jesus. They had sent the temple guards to arrest Jesus and bring him in for several days. The incarnate guards mingled with the crowd, wanting for waiting for an opportunity to arrest Jesus. During that time, they heard him speak. He spoke with authority and wisdom. When the guards returned without him, it was because they had Never before in their life heard anyone speak as he did. The temple guards were trained to obey orders. Not arresting someone would lead to them losing their job, and probably being punished for letting fugitive escape. All their training and professional behavior were engulfed in the wonder of the person Jesus. See, they could not arrest Jesus because he had arrested them first. It wasn't only one or two of the guards who were overwhelmed with the wonder of Jesus, but all of them. Not one escaped the effects of his mastering presence and anointing. The behaviour of these men coming back empty-handed, saying what they said indicates the magnitude of the spiritual experience they had. The reaction of the chief priests and Pharisees to the temple guards was furious and contempt. The Pharisees had already made up their minds regarding Jesus. The Pharisees were certainly not impressed by the fact that some ordinary people had believed in Jesus. They described the crowd as simple people and who did not know the law and were accursed. The Pharisees looked down in contempt on the ordinary people in their proud aristocracy and intellectual snobbery and spiritual pride the argument of the religious leader was that nobody who is spiritually and academically on the board had believed in Jesus. Only simple, ignorant fool accept him. It is indeed a terrible thing when a man thinks of himself as either too clever or too good to need Jesus Christ. And this kind of mindset still happens to this day. Now, Nicodemus. But Nicodemus was unique amongst the Pharisees. This was the Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night. Nicodemus first encountered Jesus in John chapter 3 and must have been doing a great deal of thinking. And studying since then. He sought to speak out for Jesus as he was obviously impressed by Jesus. He reminded the council that the law teaches that every man must receive justice. Part of justice was that he must have a right to state his case and cannot be condemned on second-hand information. But they answered him, Surely you are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and you will see that no prophet is to arise from Galilee. They told Nicodemus that obviously no prophet could come out of Galilee. So Nicodemus said no more. Now, let's summarize all these responses. There are five different responses. In today's passage, we see five types of response to Jesus' proclamation and invitation. First, those who believe. They received the truth. Some of the people, when they heard Jesus' proclamation, responded positively. They were convinced that Jesus was the prophet and he was the Messiah. The Jewish people talk about the prophet that was familiar to them. That was part of their vocabulary. The prophet who was to come, the prophet who was spoken of by Moses. Jewish people were looking for that prophet. We saw that all the way back early in the Gospel of John, that they were looking for the Messiah, that they were looking for the prophet. Second, Those who reject, they said, surely the Messiah does not come from Galilee. Does he? Many rejected Jesus as the source of the living water. Third, the confused. They were the temple guards. They were wrestling with the truth. They were sent by the chief priests and the Pharisees to arrest Jesus. They returned to the chief priests and Pharisees without Jesus, with them. And the religious leaders said to them, Why didn't you not arrest him? The temple guards answered, Never, never has anyone spoken like this. These temple guards were under the authority of the temple leaders. They knew what it was to be under authority. They knew what it was like to take orders. They knew the consequences of violating those orders. Now from these confused god came the testimony that his words were the most overwhelming, overpowering words they had ever heard. They were in a state of bewildered uh, amazement. I don't know what happened to those temple guards, but I doubt that any of them ever forgot the confrontation with Jesus that day. Fourth, they're proud and arrogant. In the middle of their confusion, the Pharisee reprimanded the temple guards with anger. Surely you have not been deceived too, do you? Have you? We may paraphrase it as, you can't be that stupid. You can't be that easily deceived. Surely, you're better than that. So, they play on their pride. And they continue in verse 48. Has any one of the authorities or of the Pharisees believed in him? So they now make it to be about personal pride and loyalty. It means you don't know any of the leaders of Israel. You don't know of any who are refined scholars of scripture and students of history and spiritual reality that believe in him. Do you? Oh, the only people who follow him are the accursed the people of the earth, the low lives, You don't want to look stupid, do you? You don't want to be disloyal, do you? The chief priests and the Pharisees were so proud and arrogant. They rejected the invitation of Jesus, the claims of Jesus, and later arrested him and condemned him to death. Fifth, The compliant. Nicodemus who came to Jesus before was a member of Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin was the elite ruling part of body that sat as a tribunal in every city in Israel. Since his meeting with Jesus, he has been searching for the truth. So he spoke up for Jesus. He wanted to defend Jesus he had processed enough about jesus to know it was not going to be right to kill him we don't know where he was in his own soul but for now he was not going to declare himself a believer in jesus for now he was only going to hold him hold them to the integrity of their own laws he defended jesus in this legal way. But the leader replied by taunting him with sarcasm and contempt for having a connection with the Galilean rebel. So they mocked one of their own, one of their own elite Sanhedrin's members. Nicodemus had been searching for the truth. Interestingly, You fast forward, you go to John chapter 19, verse 39 and 40 tells us that Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about a hundred pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices in linen cloth according to the burial custom of the Jews. there was Nicodemus, praise the Lord, with the body of Christ, burying now his Lord and Savior. Praise the Lord. Challenges and application. First, invitation to drink. Friends, are you thirsty? Have you been drinking the water offered by the world? and still thirsty in your souls. Today, Jesus is extending his invitation to you. You who are thirsty, come to me and drink. You can come to him and receive him as your Savior. Let Jesus do a miracle in your life, in you, this morning. Second, What is your response? This morning's passage put us in the middle of a huge dispute over who Jesus really is and what should be done with him. Jesus made his own claims concerning his identity and his mission. He called upon the people to recognize him for who he claimed to be and to follow in his footsteps. What would your response be? Let's spend a moment of silence with our eyes closed and head bounced to reflect on what we have heard before we continue our service.